Hello humans, welcome to Caesar Bigelow Brazilian Gigolo. This is episode 25 of Power Report, and I am here on a, on a panel episode with Bam, Sean, and Caesar, uh, here to break down the more important, not most important, but not the least important, you know, some of the things that are relatively important in news that have happened over the past couple weeks. Um, as, as we do, let's just kind of get into it. I think one of the big, oh, we got Kumi Cam here. That, that, that's the main attraction right now. Um, podcast listeners kind of missing out low key at this um, natural thing right oh. here. Oh, darn. Oh, well. Gross. Well, it was a moment. Um, anyways, speaking of gross, it seems that we have a verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial. And um, surprisingly, uh, unlike naysayer Bam, who doesn't believe in uh, justice, freedom in the American way, it appears that <laughs> Uh, Derek Chauvin was charged and made guilty on pretty much everything that was put in front of him and uh, sent to the clink. Uh, we did it, Joe. <laughs> Racism's over. We did it, Patrick. We saved the city. Yeah, so, uh, bam, how does it feel to be wrong? <laughs> wrong about what? <laughs> I, I, I thought we kind of left the previous episode because um, we were talking about if... Derek Chauvin will actually be guilty, and we said that cops usually never get more than like ten years or whatever. It looks like he's going to get a little more than ten years at this point. Yeah, I think at like forty-five or something crazy, or seventy-five or something. I don't know. I mean, I'm glad that he got a sentence that it seems like he deserved. Um, you know, I'm not going to go on the whole thing about what's justice and what isn't, and you know, kind of like the same you know Twitter replies to everything. I do think, like, I don't want to be all the way cynical about it, but watching the trial, um, I think from what I know about policing, Derek Chauvin was scapegoated. Um, all those cops got on the stand and testified against him. They sacrificed him, basically. I would imagine somebody told him, like, look, you're, look, you're going down and, you know, we can't save you. And if you get on there and try to talk about like what you uh, learned in training and how we talk behind closed doors at this department, we're going to kill you. Um, so just eat this charge, eat these years in prison. We'll try to make it as good for you as we can. But you went too far. Um, and, you know, we got the sentence that we got. Um, I think the hilarious part, like really fast is that there was actually, we have to just note for the record, for history, uh, first draft of history over here, that Republicans were literally going with like this one, I think, uh, state official who was arguing that Derek, Sh I'm sorry, that George Floyd died of a drug overdose while he was underneath the knee of the of neck. And that was enough for like conservative media, the Matt Walsh's, the absolute like gutters of like uh, conservative media and society more broadly to run with that and say that um, things like, I think Matt Walsh literally tweeted that George Floyd's the most consequential overdose victim in world history. Well, like it's just like the most like obvious shock jock stuff, but no, they 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 tried whatever they could, and the jury was just like, we're not having it. Yeah, I mean, those people have no shame, and yeah, like it just wasn't going to happen for me. As soon as I saw police officers and like his superiors testifying against him, it's like this guy's got no chance. Um, and it seemed like his defense was pretty lackluster you know what, what are you gonna say man like it's nine minutes you're kneeling on somebody who's begging for their life like what are we doing um i am um anticipating the trials of the other police officers 
we'll see what they get. Hopefully they don't get anything less than half of what Derek Chauvin got. Um, I do consider them accomplices to murder. But I do have more I want to say about uh, police. I do have my lukewarm take that uh, Dan mentioned. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll save that for after everybody else speaks about the verdict. Yeah. Uh, Caesar, do you want to jump in from your uh, temporary vacation here for a little bit to uh, speak on some of the injustices happening uh, stateside? I mean, it's really hot over here. But um, I think that one of the... I mean, I don't know. I don't have any lukewarm takes like Bam about this, but I'll just say that I felt like my initial impression was kind of like a big finally when uh, the trial completed. It was almost sad how reassuring it was to like see the justice system do kind of like what it's supposed to have been doing for a long time. Um, the only part of me that kind of felt bad was thinking about all the previous situations and instances in the past, all those family, all those lives that have been lost in the past and no retribution was done and officers that paid no penalties. We've talked about on the show, officers that have been relocated, fired and moved to getting hired to even getting paid in different locations and almost getting pretty much promotions out of doing these census killings and, and, and horrific things to minorities and people of all colors. Um, when it come, comes to getting arrested. So it was nice to see that. And like Bam said, too, when I saw when I saw his own people turn on him, I was like, damn, like the 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 gang, the mafia has turned against one of their own. They're going to they're going to use him as the sacrificial lamb. Now he's done. They have, they have to they have to do this. It's almost like it almost felt like oh, we're doing this to just appease everybody, you know, just to get it over with, because. There's, you know, obviously I don't from personal experience. I've heard stories about everybody talking about how it was um, in the in that area, how the community was impacted by this, how a lot of the America moved on, but the community still stayed focused on this. They still um, were very much a part of this entire trial and following it very closely. So, like I said, it was good in that sense. Um, I wasn't able to follow along what happened to the other officers. I know they had some trials coming up with the other officers, correct? I, I, I didn't follow those along, but... Um, yeah, it was, should be coming soon um, afterwards, but the Derek Chauvin trial was first. They're even trying to potentially make this case an example as to get it into law that police are supposed to report bad behavior um, as it's happening and to actually intervene, and that would be wrong to do so. I think there was a case reported on Democracy Now! a couple of weeks ago where there was a woman who was recently... Um, let go from jail, actually, because she was a police officer who intervened with another um, police officer, like beating a black guy, maybe to death. I don't know, but definitely like really hard. And she was arrested and put in jail for intervening. So it, it would be a cool like way to change the frame legally, in a sense, to say that, no, as a police officer, you have a duty to intervene if you see a quote unquote bad apple. Oh, that, that, that's really good. I hope that... Um... I love to see more about that and what kind of maybe even even to see what kind of uh, modifications they've done that and how circumstantial that's going to be. Love to see how that uh, turns out. But yeah, that's kind of my impression. Was it was good to see, but um, you know you feel a little bit for the people in the past, and hopefully this brings some kind of change in the future. I hear you, Sean. Like as you kind of like give your thoughts, I wonder what kind of like thinking you have to the sort of thing that was going around. I don't know if you saw this in like some of the media circles, you know, but. This idea that, oh, the jury felt pressured to um, basically mm. throw the book at Derek Chauvin because otherwise there'd be this like riots and protesting out there. It's almost like another, because there was not a lot of case for to be made on the Derek Chauvin side of things. It was like, oh, obviously um, 
the police aren't in the wrong here. So if the jury make the wrong decision that uh, as a lot of the media has decided, the conservative media has decided is the wrong decision, then it's because the jury did so under duress. They were afraid of what would happen or like they'd be afraid of the rioting and the looting from BLM Antifa LLC. <laughs> yeah, I think I heard um, a one Timothy Poole, um, skater boy Tim himself, um, say that, say something along the lines of that, where it was like, oh, they're, the jury is pressured, so they're going to vote um, to convict Chauvin and all that. I'm like, that's not how that works. Everybody came to a verdict very quickly because they saw all the evidence that was presented. Chauvin was caught in 4K. It's there for the world to see. Everybody knows. Um, that's like a pleasantly surprised i didn't think he was going to get convicted in all three when all three were said and like uh, mom told me and i was like wow i'm shocked in a good way that that happened finally something good for once has happened in our justice system the funniest thing out of all of it though was to watch the video of him being read the verdicts and seeing his eyeballs just slowly get bigger and bigger and bigger as each verdict is called knowing oh man this is this is happening verdict count three we the jury in the above entitled matter as to count three Second degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk. Find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April 2021 at 1.45 p.m. You don't see anything because he's wearing his mask naturally, but you just see his eyes like twitching back and forth like, oh crap, it's uh, going the clink. What's that but, quote um, that's like, why, Lord, let it happen to anybody else but not me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. But overall, it's, it's a step in the right direction, a step in something that it needs to happen more, uh, more often and stuff. And it's obviously used even within the trial. Like during the trial, you already had more killings and stuff as is. It's, it's insane. It's just the country you live in right now. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think speaking of like the country we live in, there was a really kind of, as usual, like sad and dark sadistic thing about America as it tends to happen, that you had a number of these cases that were like, it, it, while there was a major trial, like perhaps of the, at least of the biggest trial of the 21st century around police brutality and police violence, there were instances daily, like literally daily, of police violence in different parts of the country. Um, you, like, you had the case with um, the 13-year-old in Chicago, um, mm -hmm. Adam Toledo, I want to say. Um, you had that incident. You had uh, the incident with Andrew Brown, where he was basically in his car with his hands on the wheel, and cops just like let a barrage of bullets into him, one hitting him in the um, skull and then killing him. Um, just all of these cases, there's even the like Micaiah Bryant case, which people jumped on mm -hmm. and said, oh, she was like lunging at people with a knife. She was like crazy. But like, again, like there's a way we can handle mental health episodes that don't involve like definite murder, I think. Um, other countries tend to handle this somehow. And you can do this from a societal level. But I think the fact of the matter is, even though some people, let's say Nancy Pelosi, tried to make it seem like, oh, uh, George Floyd died and so um, <laughs> we can have freedom. And so that's the end of that, wipes hands clean. Uh, I think the l overall consensus on the left and even within like some liberal circles as well is that uh, this is one positive step, but there's so much more that needs to be done. And the number of, I think, killings that happened in the recent 
like before the trial, during the trial, and it has happened since the trial and will continue to happen since the trial, which we've said like on the show continuously because it's an unfortunate reality in this country. I think it ties into the fact that these things are very systemic and that they are like deeply rooted in facets of our culture that um, are harder to like get rid of just in an easy way and sense like that. And so in order to have a better like in order to better approach these things in society, we'll have to, um, like, <laughs> we'll have to actually address those things head on. So my uh, my fake uh, lukewarm take here, I mean, it's something that I've thought about before, and maybe I've even talked about it. I, I don't know if I've talked about it on Power Report, um, but it, I have an issue with the with like the media um there's like a constant racializing of police brutality and i think that that hinders any pro like hinders progress in regards to this uh like in regards to police brutality and overreach in the sense that if it's able to be put in the in like the in, when I say media, I'm not you know I'm saying like wh when it goes out to people, when people hear about it, if it's able to be characterized as police violating black people, then you're always going to be able to have the people that just disregard it because like oh that's just black people, that's black people complaining, that's them. They're just always aggrieved. They're always mad about something. What did he do? Whereas what I know about the police and about police brutality is that they are equal opportunity violators. As someone who I, I used to watch all the videos, you see just as many videos of white people, white men, women getting violated by police as black people. Not saying that. Now, now let, let me just say this. Obviously, I know that the policing of black bodies is done in a way that's way more unjust than it is white bodies. I'm aware of that. But when it comes to like the narrative and, and it being like able to be uh, addressed in like a popular way, I think that we have to talk about police brutality cases that happen to everybody. There's a reason why you don't hear about the cases of police brutality when it happens to white people. It's not salacious. It's not sexy. To, it's, there's nothing. There's no energy behind that. And I and I I remember specifically. I want to say this is in Richmond, but it was in Virginia somewhere. There was this young white kid who got shot by the cops. He was um, like he was like on his first date. He was like 18 or 17. He was on his first date. The police came up on him. He tried to drive away and the cops shot him and killed him. And I remember when they talked to his mom and, and in the video, he's like, I'm a minor. I'm a minor. Let me call my mom. And the cop is just like so mean to him. And I remember his mom saying, like, I wish that, like, there was a way to get like Black Lives Matter involved in this. And maybe, you know, you know, maybe she didn't know who to call, whatever. But like. It, it it reminds me of what happened to, and I and I I'm pretty sure I talked about this case on here before. 
um, Daniel Shaver. Daniel Shaver was murdered by a police officer in Arizona, and I want to say 2016. It's one of the most, like, it's, the video will blow your mind. Like, it's unbelievable. Like, you, you will be, like, completely shocked if you've never seen this video that this person that you're watching is going to get killed by this police officer in this video. You, you, you'll start the video and be like, okay, no, there's no way that he's going to shoot this guy. And he shoots him and kills him in the hallway of a hotel in, in, uh, in Arizona. The case was so crazy. The cop got acquitted. The cop was fired. They rehired him secretly so he could get his pension. They found out he still was able to come back and get a uh, claim. He had PTSD from killing this guy so he could get his pension for the rest of his life. His wife is like homeless now. And and I'll never forget when uh, his five year old daughter at the time, when she went back to school, they the, the teacher saw her like strangling herself and they said, what are you doing? And she said, I want to go to heaven with my daddy. It, the, like, terrible. Daniel Shaver's case got no press. And, 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 and I, like these cases that happen, if we're really going to do something about police, I'm not talking about racism. I'm not talking about systematic racism. I'm talking about this gang that we have uh, passively holding the population hostage called the police. If we're going to do something about them, we got to talk about all these cases. So some fool like Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, whatever the hell he tweeted, crazy shit. He can't just write it off as like those people. When it's Daniel Shaver, when it's uh, uh, Richard Schumacher, who I seen get his chest eaten by a, a police dog. Those cases like. When they start get, making the rounds and we get some protests over that, then we're talking about the police. And another thing, before I end, I feel like I've been going for a long time. When it was during the George Floyd protests, I went to a lot of those protests. I spoke at a lot of those protests. Whenever I would speak, and, and I'm not like criticizing people, but this is something I noticed. People will protest, they're talking about racism. Look, I know but we're talking about the police, yo. Like, I would have to end up bringing the conversation back to the police. These protests ain't about, we're not gonna do nothing about racism at these. We gotta, we gotta talk about these cops. There's black cops, like, like, like the, the George, we're gonna see in the, the cases for these other cops that were there when Derek Chauvin killed, killed George Floyd. It's a rainbow coalition. There's a black, we gotta, we like these cops, everybody in that police department is in that gang and they do not care. They're all in it together. They get their tattoos together. They're in the Freemason halls together. Oh yeah, look at that Kamala Harris thing. Um. So yeah, that's my thing. I, I just feel like there's, I feel like there is deliberate racialization of police brutality and it hinders what we can do in regards to the narrative about police brutality. And I'm out of here. Bye. I think where it gets to like a big picture issue is an issue in American society with tying individual issues to larger systems, right? And being able to say that 
yes, racism is a problem with policing and that you can tie the history of policing and the history of like racism in America pretty closely together. Not completely, it doesn't like overlap entirely, but there are parts where they intersect and it affects things to this day. But policing in general, the, the way it's set up and structured, I think, in society, the power structure that I think um, many people on the left and a lot of conservatives talk about when it comes to uh, tech, um, th like the power of tech in society or the power of any particular business or corporation in society, well, the power of policing and like surveillance and all of those things in society, those all intersect, but in order to see these things in order to address these things you have to have like a systemic sort of view like a uh, sort of unrelated i was watching and i'm going to try to tread carefully here maybe some people know what i'm talking about maybe they don't but there was a debate between a prominent streamer asswipe and a prominent economics professor and uh one was trying to explain economic systems and how they work and how they connect with each other and how you can have, let's say, hypothetically, socialism within a capitalist system and there are restraints against that. Or you have people who think in like very narrow, one-track-minded absolutes. And of course, I, I, I like, that's a particular point where I'm like making fun of someone's intellect. But the issue that you're getting at, Bam, is that a lot of people, even like our allies, regular people who like care about these political issues but aren't like laser-focused and like some of us are, they have a hard time seeing that it's like, yes, and it's both. It's racism, but it's also like a structure of policing. It's a structure of surveillance in society. And I'd love to like get ideas maybe from like Sean and Caesar here about like ways in which maybe that gap can be broken. To me, I think there's just a way of like what we do here, like continually making this example and continuing to illustrate these points and connecting these dots with saying like, hey, this story about this over here, it's actually about these other things that have to connect, otherwise nothing can be done about it. But I'm definitely open to suggestions because I think, or like thoughts about the matter in general, because I think this idea of broadening the American political imagination is something that, um, the left is definitely going to need um, very quickly, as we'll allude to later on in the show. But yeah, I want to get your thoughts. Um, you're going to have to... The best way to get people to kind of go onto that is to inform them. Inform them as much as you can on different issues, on different things and strategies to help prevent further issues from becoming worse and worse and, and to <clears throat> get strategies to help... Um, make change happen so you that's the best way like bam with free discussion society it doesn't necessarily need to always be about certain stuff it can just be about different things in general and just getting out voices to together getting out exchanges of ideas and stuff the free marketplace of ideas, ideas. um stuff like that of <clears throat> basically just talking to one another and informing them on what you're seeing what you want done what you want to change what you think needs to be done and all of that and given your own personal experiences, your friends or family experiences, all that jazz, to get them in to then um, explain whatever position that you're um, coming to, especially like, I think this, I think this is more prevalent even in like foreign policy sections of America as well, because we're so narrow minded here that we don't know so much foreign policy wise that um, a lot of people don't understand what's going on in the rest of the world that um, that there's a lot of change that needs to happen within our own stuff, but that's been going on a different tangent. But then considering, uh, but going back to the police, I think that's one thing that I agree with Bam, where a lot of it, all the protests and stuff, it's 
really about racism, but we want to get down to the nitty gritty of actual policing of this country. How when we say defund the police, we say, hey, the police are on like an absurd military budget and they have all of these surplus rifles and other stuff that they don't need. You don't need that to police to police people with why are they getting all of this stuff why are they getting overblown budgets and all of that that's what we mean by defund the police it's not like oh just abolish all police and get rid of it in total not many not too many leftists are on that um path i believe so i, I mean that's one thing that th there uh, definitely are I, a number of people who are saying no just like the entire thing needs to be uprooted and started over again on the left and i'll like I think well, there's yeah, I mean, started over, but sure. some people. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I'd say like there are very few where I hear they're just like like nothing. No police, that's like what none whatsoever. Yeah, like you nothing. nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think that's a minority this, stance. Yeah, within this is like more nuance than like I think is needed for the context at hand, which is like this is a question about getting people to see even the most basic level of nuance, which is like. Um, systemic overlap of things like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just think it's just going to be tough. Yeah, I think for me, um, I, I I see what Bam's point was about. You know, I think that, and I kind of highlighted a little bit about that when I spoke towards the end of what I was saying was that it's great to see what happened um, with the Derek Chauvin trial, but at the same time, you always kind of think about the people before this mm -hmm. who have not gotten the same exposure, not gotten the same love, and not gotten the same results for cases that honestly might even be a little even more egregious, um, that even might be more traumatic, might have more people involved than just that man alone, um, George Floyd right there. Other people involved, like for example, the 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 was it the hotel one where there's like a whole family there. There's one the, where there's a daughter and a wife. Like there's there's a lot of people that were affected, and the system instead of doing what it was supposed to do just uh, absolved the situation and and made sure to make everything possible for the officer to ensure that the officer had the best life after this was over. When indeed, when the officer was actually the one that caused the murder, caused the crime, or caused the situation. Um, I, I always kind of have like internal conflicts with this because it's like, okay, are, do, we, do we approach this situation and criticize it immediately? And think to ourselves, that's great, but there's more we can do. Or do we, or do we move forward as society? Because I think it has a lot to do with American culture in general. Like I feel like American culture, when it comes to these situations, they give it like two weeks of energy, then it's over. So what what makes things resonate more with people? Being able to keep highlighting these situations and hopefully that they stay understanding them and and and, and, and passionate about making change. Or do we highlight big moments like this to ensure that these don't happen in the future? I don't know the proper course of action. I've seen so many inconsistencies with how uh, um, issues of, of adversity are dealt with in this nation that it um, – I just – you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer specifically, but go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go, 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 go to finish. I, but I was yeah. going to say something after Okay. Yeah. Like I, I, I don't know the answer specifically, but I just feel that, um, you know, I, I, my approach, I guess what I'm leaning on right now, and this is obviously subject to change. I can see your perspective as well too. Mine is like, I take time to appreciate this and
moment because I think moment because I think a lot of times what I've noticed in American history is that big moments are often resonate more in the future because of its impact in the moment than consistent moments over and over and over. I think that we always lean back to how our memory works with something big that changed everything moving forward rather than consistently because even before this we were always talking about before the, the george floyd trial we talked about how many videos were spawning before this and how it was like so much even you mentioned before ben that was like so much you couldn't even keep up it was just consistently so many things going on but the george floyd one stuck the george floyd one stayed the george floyd one was the enough is enough so maybe sometimes it's important to highlight the enough is enough so that when it moving forward we can build create bills make changes ratify change the constitution change laws on the basis of that big trial that paved the way for the change of how officers are dealt with in the future i think um, god go go then go then no no you get the last word okay last um <laughs> no caesar i you know i i see exactly where you're coming from because yeah like it, it is it is like a thing it's like what would what would be more productive like I mean, sadly, we're talking about people's lives, but like, you know, the big one or like keep it coming. I would honestly like when you think about it, what was like the last like major police brutality thing before uh, or instance before George Floyd? We're talking about like uh, 2016 or something like that or, you know, I, I don't know. Um Eric Garner died similarly to George Floyd. It took, you know, there's so much time in between that. I just wonder if, and, 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 and it's not like our responsibility. It's just like, I, I almost feel like we're being played in a sense by like popular media. It's like all these things happen to non-black people, when it's a black person, make it a big deal. What is that? Is I I I know how media works. It's like yeah, like we it generates debate. You can eat off that for a long time. It just generates debate. But when that cop shot that woman, the, the if I'm not mistaken, the last time or maybe even the first time a police officer was uh, charged with murder in Minneapolis or Minnesota was the cop that shot that white lady in that alley, uh, murdered her. He happened to be black, Somali cop. I even remember that being racialized. What, like, yo, like he just, they, but, but, it, but it didn't like lead to like some action on police being crazy on the trigger. What I'm saying is like, there is there is this thing that happens in media where the police brutality is racialized. I think that it really sucks for the people that are not able to be racialized in this manner, manner that their stories, which can be just as bad as anybody's, don't get any attention. And I think we got to like kind of like see through that, like get get past that okie doke. And be like, yeah, and you know who else was uh, killed by the police? Uh, you know, Karen Todd. You know this. You know, and and uh, who was like body slammed by some cop? You know, uh, Francesca, whoever. So people can really understand 
what these police are doing out here. If they think like just every few years they kill a black guy, they're really not going to care, sadly. But that was different when it came to George Floyd. Obviously, like people saw that it was like it was insane and it, and it and it was the right moment. And it just like it stuck. Everybody got out there in the street. Every like all these different corporations stuff felt that pressure. Hopefully that can continue. And I do honestly think that we're going to also have to highlight cases of police brutality when it's not a black person. No, I think that's totally fair. And it's something that um, I think we can also try to do on the show more as well. Like in the minor efforts and mentioning like the cases that were happening um, throughout the trial, but kind of just in general to highlight this major, like larger systemic issue of like, yes, it's an issue that disproportionately happens to black people that is um, tied into history, but you can also tie those historical things um, with indigenous people, with... Um, Latino, Latina people with white people, with uh, poor people. It's just like a class thing. I, I, I do like to move on now to our Lord and Savior, Joseph Biden. Um, it's been the first 100 days of the Biden administration. And so, <laughs> um, Jimmy Dore clipped this out and called Bama Coward, I dare you. Um, so this is going to be the time when everyone kind of assesses the Joe Biden administration in the first 100 days. And I think that, you know, I came in pretty hot and negative over like Joe Biden and what you can kind of like see from his administration. And um, I have not completely changed my mind on that. But I will say from the first 100 days, the main things I've noticed are a lot of big talk from the major, from the Biden administration and like key allies of his in the Senate and the House. Um, and these key allies being just across the Democratic Party from uh, Chuck Schumer to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to Bernie Sanders, even at times, awkwardly. Um, I, I, I've seen better than expected action on things that like, Honestly, our standards are so low that, like, of course, these things are doing well. But the idea that we are not even halfway through spring and we have a surplus of vaccines when most other countries are seeing a major um, issue with getting vaccines, more on that later, um, I think is a testament to how quickly the Biden administration was able to get things going um, with COVID-19 recovery, considering the Trump administration basically left them with dick. Um, so that's been really good. And I think some of the economic recovery proposals, even though um, we covered very extensively on here and like I did on, on my stream and other places, the Democrats negotiating with themselves to give people less relief during um, the pandemic as people are getting back on their feet. Despite that, um, there have been a lot of different things, uh, different policies in place, including um, benefits for families with children that'll be coming soon that Democrats are going to try to make permanent. So it's going to be almost like a basic income of some forms. Th these are some really good things that are happening here, but you still also get that tied with uh, an average slash poor foreign policy kind of response. Um, we're going to talk more about vaccine inequalities across the world in a bit. And I think that's a big part of it that's happening this week, but we'll save that for the next segment because that's the whole thing. But um, despite... Uh, what was it? Uh, Pop Pop promising that he'd bring an Xbox home yet again with uh, George Biden saying that, sorry, Joe Biden saying that this time we will be leaving Afghanistan for reals this time by 9-11. Um, 
I, I still don't believe it, considering all the different military actions we are doing in the Middle East to try to assert dominance there. Um, the idea of Joe Biden talking about, um, like, a movement more towards covert operations in the Middle East seems like we're doing, like, CIA Cold War moves round two. And so the, the other third thing that I want to get to before, like, opening it up is the fact that the agenda for the Democratic Party of what they're doing right now. Uh, Chuck Schumer's talking a really big game. He's trying to talk to people who are um, left of the liberal side of things. He spoke to Ezra Klein, he spoke to Mehdi Hassan, specifically being pressed on the issue of the filibuster and whether or not we, he would allow, uh, whether or not Chuck Schumer would allow President Joe Manchin to run the Democratic Party um, into oblivion and make it so they couldn't get anything done and they get whomped in future elections and the Republican can just take over the country, all thanks to Joe Manchin and his pettiness. And it seems like Chuck Schumer is willing to um, even play around with the filibuster, the thing that's preventing uh, basically Democrats from getting any action done because the minority party can uh, block up the methods of government. Chuck Schumer is even willing to mess with that if it means that he can get some votes, um, mainly for uh, transportation and infrastructure bill and for voting rights. Those are the two things. And considering how slowly our Congress goes, we may not get, like, we may only get one or two of these things from this Congress until the midterms next year, whereas um, reforms in voting rights and or infrastructure. So I have even more thoughts about what Democrats should do in this moment, but um, I do want to open it up for people to give their opinions on Biden's first 100 days in office and um, things they're happy about, things they want to see improved. Anyone? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. Awesome. Let's all give them, let's all give them a grade. Let's all give them a grade to start off. So, oh God, we're talking everyone's about, doing this. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. If we're giving Joey Money Banks, uh, Joey B, his first grade, I'm going to be real with you. I'm giving him a high score. And, and, and I'm giving him, what, like probably a B plus A minus. Um if you think about what we transitioned from to now, if you think about how he handled the whole fiasco that was going on with the fake voting counts and the bills that were going on and just the madness that ensued, it, you got to admit it, it takes, it took some sort of resolve to transition to this seat. Cause it was, they, they made it Trump administration made it difficult for him to get comfortable. That's for sure. Um, so there was a lot going on, uh, weird rallies, very uncomfortable ones. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what did I expect? Of course, I res I expected him to still be warmonger mode, right? I still expected him to to go back to those roots where he was like uh, still really being overly aggro about China. Like, okay, just relax, man. Like, you're upset about China, okay? Um, like stuff like that. Like, I didn't I didn't expect that to change, but the vaccine rollout. Um, you know, he was very emphatic about making some of those changes, as we all saw. It was real. You know, a lot of us from one of our previous episodes of Power Report talked about the vaccine and what do you anticipate getting it to where we are now. A lot of us can probably sit here and say we know a good portion of people around us who have been vaccinated. Um, a majority of this podcast has been vaccinated. So, like, you can – and that's two shots. Uh, so, like, you know <laughs> – except for some people took one shot. But anyways, it's like, you know, it's it's – it's it's a lot. There's been a lot of progression that's moved forward. That's something that was stated and it's come to fruition. We didn't get like the whole game being played around. Now, 
Of course, we're not speaking to people from different economic backgrounds who've had different level of access to vaccines around the nation. That's a different discussion itself. But in the general sense, I'm talking about my community. I know the, a fair amount of people have gotten it done and they're getting it done. You know, and, and that's good to see. That's what I wanted to see in this country. Um, the, the Afghanistan thing. Dan, I'm absolutely kind of I'm with you. I it, I find it very hard to believe we're going to be pulling out of there uh, by by the number. I think he's saying some of the stuff to still please the other side, because I think Joe Biden, in a way, his administration more than him, essentially kind of really sees how um, the left kind of sees Joe Biden. It's like they, they see him as like, oh, well, you know, he's he's kind of like, yeah, he's over in his team, but he's a little bit fringe on some stuff. And I think he says these things to kind of appease to that, right? To calm the nerves. Like, no, no, like, I got you. I got you. So it's a wait and see approach me as it's always going to be with the president. So um, fairly well on some of that stuff. And I thought that actually some of his speeches have been really good lately. I thought that the way he's spoken out about certain issues was was really good as well too, certain them. Um, so, you know, I, I think compared to what we were dealing with the last four years, I'd say I'm pretty happy. Um, and considering it's Joe Biden, Hey man, not too bad on my end, but you know, that's just my opinion. More letter grades. C minus. Uh, because I don't believe half the crap he says because it's Biden. And if you look at his track record and everything, it's pretty shitty. Um, vaccine rollout has been good. Um, Caesar called me out for getting the Johnson and Johnson. So he's jealous. I got the limited edition available one shot. So, you know, <laughs> This, Over the, here, the, the, the take, boomer clot one. Eh, the boomer. Clot. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, takes a real man to handle that Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> the real Johnson. Oh, oh, there you go, man. Christ. But anyways, the things that were interesting to hear was um, him talking about wanting like pay, uh, paid family leave and all these other programs and stuff that he wants to get introduced into a bill and all of that, that naturally it's not going to pass because it's America, but it's that part was nice to hear someone finally really talk about that as a president. I don't believe for a second, anything about Afghanistan because Obama said that and Trump said that, and they both increased troop levels at some point. So that's not going to happen. That's yeah, I super, super doubt that. Um, Stuff that Caesar is saying, kind of a rebuttal to Caesar. Um, I think something that is dangerous right now for um, in the Biden era is that because we lived through the four years of Trump, the fiasco and everything that 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 was all of the damage that he did do. People now see a lot of the bog standard neoliberal things that Biden is doing as godly as all of this greatness and stuff that is going on when it really is not that more th more things need to happen more things need to be put in place that's kind of the standard of america and the standard of america isn't that great hasn't been for a very very long time because <clears throat> all of those neoliberal tendencies and stuff that he has being hawkish to china and russia doing stuff of um <clears throat> stuff with um the 15 dollar minimum wage that he's that's not going to happen um student and debt relief that, yeah student debt relief and other things that he was kind of going on the campaign trailing uh, campaign going on about that he's not implementing his presidency those are the things that are dangerous to me because a lot of people now because they're so used to trump they see anything that biden does as really good or really like oh this or that because we live through trump i want more people to now challenge the administration and challenge the democrats more now and hold them to a higher standard than that they were even during obama years 
because I think that could have been the same thing as well. Because you can now look back at his presidency and say, wow, there was a lot that more should have been done throughout his presidency, especially when he had a supermajority <clears throat> and everything that the amount of power that the Democrats had and not much was done at, the, at that time. But for going on to Biden's speech, there was some good, there was some bad. Um, still don't have too much hope, but um, it'll be interesting to see what happens and what can get done within Congress and what gets passed through that. Um, yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> um, that was like, it would be fun to like, just be like more negative than that. Like, I was just be like, you know what? Like he's going to nuke somebody. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to click that button and send his silos out. Just boom, boom. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really know like a letter grade, like whatever. Um, I will say that that was one inter- of those schools that doesn't take the ACT or the SAT. It's just like write a good essay. They, they only have participation trophies there. <laughs> Montessori, bam. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say like the energy in the country is better than it was with uh, Trump, um, especially around this time when it was Trump. Um, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate, well, I I feel like the thing that's really, we got to thank Twitter because I think, honestly, if Trump was on Twitter, it would just still be a shit show. I think the fact that uh, Donald Trump has kind of been silenced a lot, we're we're all benefiting from that. But um, as far as Biden's first hundred days, um, yeah, the vaccine rollout's been great. I think there's been, I mean, I don't don't expect much from the federal government, um, but you know, as far as like a direction, like it, it you know, it, it feels like normal, I guess you could say. Like, I mean, kind of similar to what Sean was saying, like, you know, America sucks in a lot of ways. Like, it's, it's not like it's going to get turned on its head, but like, you don't want to be like living in fear, you know? Um, as far as Afghanistan and foreign policy, I, obviously there's not too much going on in regards to foreign policy. Him saying that Afghanistan, um, the troops are going to come home. I almost don't want those troops here, but um, like none of them want to get vaccinated, although they've gotten to take they had to take like five shots to go in the military. For some reason, they don't want COVID vaccine. But um, I wouldn't be shocked if they do pull out, but it won't really matter as much for Afghanistan because there's probably going to end up being more contractors there, a.k.a. mercenaries, which I'm sure that there's more contractors there than troops right now so um what that will do for afghanistan the american troop presence not being there i like i don't know if it's really going to matter that much um i did i I read some of his speech um once again i'm not really somebody who's yeah you know the president's going to get up there and say stuff i'm not like prone to necessarily believing it um you know, Obama was a long time ago. I don't really don't really remember what Obama was saying. Um, I don't know if he was saying, you know, talking about a fifteen dollar minimum wage and, um, you know, talking about democracy. Like I don't know what he was talking about. Obviously, a lot of that stuff didn't happen. I'll, I'll say just to that point because it like ties yeah. into Chuck Schumer and a little bit of Joe Biden's new thing. I think like J- Chuck Schumer said on either one of those shows, like Ezra Klein's or Media Sans, that he's very He's very acutely aware of the fact that Democrats have a very narrow, limited amount of time 
um, to act as an answer to the Republican Party before the Republicans get in charge of power. Uh, we just got the results from Census 2020, uh, the one that the Trump administration tried very hard to discourage people from doing as much as possible, let alone the fact that it occurred during um, the peak of COVID-19. And so usually when you are collecting the last bit of the results by knocking on people's doors, you didn't really have the option. So the resulting undercount um, hit a lot of... Um, you know, a lot of big uh, Democratic stalwart states, I believe California and New York, both are losing a House seat. And um, I think Texas, um, let me read from the New York Times here. California will lose one seat. Texas will pick up two seats. And Florida and New York um, had been tied with 27 seats, but Florida is gaining a seat and New York is losing one. So um, population shifts are happening. Uh, there seems to be also like a broad like undercount of a lot of people, especially Latinos. Um, in New York, they basically lost that house seat because they came up 89 people short on the census. And oh, so wow. that is just like an entire house seat moved from New York to Florida because of that <laughs> census count. Um, and like, th this is a thing that's like the redistricting, the reason that um, 2008 and 2010 seemed so hopeful for Democrats and then 2012 onwards was just hell world was because through the redistricting efforts that happened after the 2010 census, Republicans were basically able to gerrymander different states and different districts so that um, even though you had situations where there were more people voting for Democrats, Republicans would hold the majority of seats in certain areas. Um, this happened, I think, notably in Pennsylvania, um, certain areas of like Arizona, I believe. And so now what you have with this thing, because there's been more information about gerrymandering and all these other anti-democratic processes the Republican Party has done over the past uh, 10 to 20 to 50 years, um, it's not going to be as much of a bloodbath, but it's still likely to be a bloodbath here. As um, these districts get redrawn, it's only going to be harder and harder for Democrats to retain the narrow margins of power that they have in 2022 in the House and the Senate, which is to say... And also, I have no problem being morbid here. Uh, what if Dianne Feinstein dies? Like, 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 there we go, Democratic majority over. <laughs> and then, like, we're still, like, in the thing. All these things can happen. Like, this is very true. Like, any one of these Democrats could, you know, like, get injured, drop out, whatever. Like, we're heartbeats away from losing uh, party control. And so the idea that any Democrat from like the liberals down to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the members of the squad, are wasting any time here when the Republicans took every hour of the day to attack democracy. I expect them to spend every hour of the day fighting twice as hard to get it back. Sucks to be in that position, but frankly, I'm not seeing like a matchup in the urgency with which Chuck Schumer and a lot of other these Democrats are talking about um, the need to do voting rights reform, the need to do infrastructure, the need to do all these things. Match with the action to saying, let's bully Joe Manchin into changing the filibuster or creating exemptions for the things that Democrats want to accomplish so that we can, like, I don't know, stand somewhat of a chance in the 2022 elections and elections going forward. But that's basically, like, my call, my plea to help to Democrats is that, like, the side of the left I don't like to talk about here all the time is a little bit onto something in the sense that right now is the time that the Democrats on the left should be 
like the squad should start to vote as a block and start to hold things up and say, we're not going to vote on this at all unless you make it more progressive. Because if Joe Manchin can do this one-man show over thing over here, then the squad can definitely start to get tangible things done that, hey, it'll be like an awkward battle with Democrats fighting Democrats. But if Democrats can, as a party, say that they fought for these things and got them while the Republicans were talking about, like, um, canceling an NFL football team or whatever they're going to be talking about two months from now, then they can take that and potentially get some victories or at least hold the line in office. But I think if Democrats mess up this year and the next couple months, uh, that's it for the party. But force the vote Dan over here. No, I'm joking. Um, We're close, <laughs> honestly. Like, <laughs> um, you know, gerrymandering is one of those things like, you kind of got to be a, a bit of a political junkie to know about. And I've been saying for a while, like, we really need a viral Netflix documentary about gerrymandering. I think, um, I mean, I, yeah, you kind of have to be a political nerd about it. Not as much as you have to be to know about, like, the filibuster, let's say. But I think yeah, gerrymandering, yeah. like, over the past 10 years especially, got a little bit more popular in culture the same way, like... Um, the big short did and explaining like the financial crisis and so I think because of that the reason that's the reason why there are more anti-gerrymandering bills this time around and so the thing that Republicans are going to try to do messing up the census and messing up the districts yes they're going to do it but it's going to be less effective than if there hadn't been at least a little bit more public consciousness to it but you're, you're right to that point yeah and and honestly I feel like um one of the things that the Democrats can do is kind of like a continuation of what happened in this last election is, you know, just really focusing on getting people out. I mean, this, this might sound somewhat uh, like trite. Let's really use matter. the word trite. I like that word. Yeah. It reminds me of but trout. What, what, one of the things that I feel like is good uh, when you like brought up AOC is like I don't really see her in the news that much anymore. And I feel like that's a good thing. I feel like she was like always a focus of attention in these past four years like anything she said is like oh my god like this it's got to be some like newsworthy thing and you know like that's that's just really not how like that, that, like i'm not trying to oh she said this and it's got to be a big deal and you know everything trump says like like these things are like not gonna really that's just like media fodder, but like the things that are tangible on the ground is people getting out to vote. And yeah, once again, every once in a while we get some viral Netflix documentary about something, you know, whether it be like Instagram, I, I don't know, whatever the hell is going on. But like gerrymandering is something that's, that needs to be uh, mainstreamed so people can really know like what's going on locally with their districts and how there are politicians cheating, literally cheating to get power. Once once that stuff gets like really mainstream, people can really know like, oh, like what really like think about what they can what they can do to fight against that. We'll see some some more real change. Like when Caesar changed our background to um, uh, Land of Lakes. Well, it's part of my first hundred days. Uh, yeah, and I guess my minor, small, I forgot, it's been so long, rebuttal, rebuttal to Sean is, I think was, uh, Sean did the whole negative speech on Joe Biden, come at my boy Joey B, who hooked it up with $1,400 in the vaccine. Um, uh, okay, I don't, I don't know what anybody else done for you, but he gave me $1,400 in the vaccine. Um, they said, they said 2K, uh, he, so. he, he, 
When I always think about the, the, the most corny thing in American presidency, it's always like, well, first hundred days. I, I hate that so much. I hate it. And it's like, we all know how these campaign speeches go. You're going to sell me on everything. And like, you're going to sell me in a Lamborghini, but I end up getting like a geo Metro every time I get it when it comes to presidents. But it's like, you know, it's always like during like the first like 50 days, it was already like a war going on between the House of Representatives and like Trump still doing these speeches and him getting blocked off Twitter for life. It was like a wild transition and it was already getting wild. So I was like in my 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 high grading, I was like un- compared to the past. I mean, you only can do so much in 100 days. The dude has done a fair amount of stuff. And I'll say that. Everybody want everybody and also the counterpoint too is like I don't think there's a lot of people that even praise or laud over um Joe Biden. I never really got that sense from the media, even from the Democratic side. I always felt like even the Democratic side were just kind of like, eh, we we had we're just going with it, right? Joe Biden's here, we kind of just gotta go with it. That's the consensus I felt. That's the energy I felt about him is like he's here, it's better than before. I never thought like, oh, he said one thing that was pretty progressive, and everybody's like, wow. I just thought that they go, okay. Okay, well, interesting. Let's see if it happens. Maybe that's just from the circles of stuff I watch. But, you know, I, I, um, I, I'll just say that, yeah, I think that he's done fairly well. So it's like, hey, I mean, it could be a lot worse, right? It could be a lot worse. Could be a lot worse. I think there's definitely, I, if I give a final grade, it'd be a C plus. Um, I, I think Fair. that there's like, it's pretty good, but... I can tell that a lot of the work is plagiarized, let's say, taken from, um, it's, it's not like a lot of Biden's work. It's taken from a lot of people adjacent to him, and it just like makes sense because they're the ones who are passing the class politically. And by that I mean um, folks like uh, Elizabeth Warren, who along with Chuck Schumer is apparently trying to push Joe Biden on uh, student debt relief. It's Elizabeth Warren doing these things because Elizabeth Warren in this case is more in tune with the uh, popular uh, opinions of the country than Joe Biden is. Uh, so the, the so-called adept politician Joe Biden. Uh, what was that, Bam? Uh, uh, did you did did you guys see this about um, ju- two years of junior college free for everyone? Yeah. Is it, did that like did that happen or is it like about it to happen? It's it was something that he wants to have proposing. Okay, what are his propositions? It's like the okay. family paid family paid leave and all these other things that are proposed, but that's not gonna, like it I was that bitch. That. It was part of that big speech they were talking about okay. where he like yeah. talked about, exactly. and everybody after was like, "Yo, we yeah, the student debt. Hey, man, you gonna take some of that off or what?" Yeah, I just I did, I wasn't sure I was. Asking. Yeah, yeah. No, no bill or anything has been um, passed or really proposed up front yet. I'm so glad I remember it actually because another gauntlet was kind of thrown again. This like a lot of talk, but I need to see the action thing in Joe Biden's mm-hmm. speech. I remember, um, like you know, Chuck Schumer's legislative priorities are uh, the HR one, SB one, different like voting mm-hmm. reforms, protection sort of things, and he mentioned an infrastructure bill if I remember correctly. But Joe Biden also mentioned that. Um, he thinks some type of police reform bill or is either police reform or guns. But yeah. speaking of intersections, those two things that can be done. But he said it was a he, gun reform bill. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was a gun reform bill that he said um, can be done with Republican support by the end of May. I believe he was like the end of the month. He was talking like a real quick turnaround, like the end of May, end of June. So I'm like, hey, listen, mm. sure, buddy. Um, <laughs> that this is like 
there, there used to be this thing, like the history of the first hundred days comes from FDR because FDR was a real like first hundred days, like mm -hmm. B plus A minus kind of president. Because <laughs> it's like, by, by like, of course, Republicans hate it because like there's so many different government agencies created that, yeah, the size of government got larger, but the size of government grew to meet the needs and size of the moment, right? Um, and that's kind of like, I think what people mm -hmm. are looking for with the Biden case. But if Biden is going to use the so-called bully Pope with this idea that a newly elected president has the, um, legitimacy and the ability to appeal to the public and have that, use that, some of that public support as leverage to get the opposing party to act in a way that the leading party wants to, then yeah, now would be the time while the iron is hot, so to speak on issues of gun violence in this country, because yes, they're intertwined with, intertwined with police violence but gun violence is just like a mass shooting happens every damn day in this country and it seems like there's now more of an appetite to do something with the democratic party now more than ever um to address it or at least they seem less willing to bend to outside forces like the nra but again like i have heard so much talk from the democratic party my entire life more talk than action so um we'll wait and see but i i will say i do like that this administration is making all of their wild promises on tape it's going to make it a lot easier for me when um to, to just to do those cap calls just to be able to show when they are lying in the end of it Uh, surprisingly, usually world news stories don't really reach into the United States, but I think a lot of people in the United States are now becoming acutely aware of the situation in India, where um, India is being hit with a massive wave of COVID-19 that is a result of mutations of the original COVID-19 virus that are more resilient to drugs and treatments, combined with um, situations within India a lot of crowding people in close spaces and a large lack of government intervention and support in helping people in India. Um, also combined with the typical things that address or that make COVID-19 hard to difficult, it strains healthcare systems to the point where they can't really deal with any other services. And so regular parts of the healthcare system start to fail and just collapse on itself. All of this is really um, taking ahead in India right now. And that might seem interesting because we just talked about in this like proper full episode how in America it seems like we've handled COVID-19 so well. Like a, a point of small talk was which vaccine of which all almost all American has had access to all three of them did you get? And what were your side effects of having the vaccines that are raining from the sky? Meanwhile, <laughs> we have like a bunch of countries who are struggling to get the vaccine. The reason why they're struggling to get the vaccine, this um, miraculous piece of human ingenuity that we created um, in record speed to do something like this. This is by far the most like techno technologically advanced um, pandemic response in human history. Um, it seems like the only thing stopping that massive innovation is capitalism because um, people including noted doctor to the gods, Bill Gates, <laughs> are, are suggesting that the... Uh, they're suggesting that the, I have to be careful here because of YouTube. They're suggesting that the patents for the vaccines are very important to be kept 
in the hands of the private companies who first started building these vaccines, not just the mRNA ones that are like kind of new from like Pfizer and Moderna and a couple others, but even more standard ones from other companies um, like Johnson & Johnson, uh, different plasma and different things. They're trying to get the, Uni the United States and a lot of companies and again, led by Bill Gates and others who are trying to uh, create this sort of hoarding of vaccine resources for profit are in a large part responsible down the line for the reason why they aren't able to ship vaccines to India. Eventually, after some um, criticism from the United States internally, Joe Biden announced that um, Ox this Oxford AstraZeneca shipment that America had that wasn't going to be used in the United States because that vaccine hasn't been approved for use in the United States, that that would be sent to India, which is really good job. I'm glad the Joe Biden administration is showing some quick effort into responding to this issue. The only issue is that um, the number of vaccines sent by um, America is woefully small. I think it's something in the line of... Um, a couple million, maybe 10 or 20 million, and India's population is like to the tune of several billion. So it's, it's a real mess, honestly. Um, it shows how, yeah, they'll argue, oh, you couldn't have built a vaccine like this this quickly without capitalism. And now it's like, you can't get a vaccine out to people to actually eradicate this disease fast enough because of capitalism. Um, so how do y'all feel about playing on Xbox later today? <laughs> uh i just want to say dan sounded like a seven percent anti-vaxxer in the beginning of that saying record speed and hmm investigate <laughs> uh but <laughs> listen uh, if spotify kidding, wants YouTube. to give me money then <laughs> i will happily say whatever they don't want me to say about jabs anyways th th this is my counter to you dan just as, as a question not like uh counter to what you said what what do you think the reception of America would be if if the 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 vaccine let's say hypothetically they adjusted the vaccine distribution to other places and it reduced the intake of Americans being able to get the vaccines? How do you think the reception would be here though? Right, like I feel like we know how this country kind of operates and how the people here operate. Um, it the only kind of real global issues that the government here in America likes to participate in is a situation where they get to be kind of agro aggressive in. Um, but when it's situations where relief aid is like, especially coronavirus, I feel like this has been unique in comparison to other issues in the past, such as you know, if we're talking about the other diseases that affected the world, like bird flu or SARS or whatever, like this pandemic is very unique, especially in how it's handling. It's, it's affected everybody all at once. You know, the whole global, the whole, the whole nation, I mean, the whole world has been affected by this. So yeah, like I, I, I think that with India, I thought that that was also really good. You know, it's great to see that they, they kind of like sent those over there and like rerouted it to them. And, but at the same time, it's like I almost wasn't surprised by the number. Like, of course, like America was going to like what it's the capitalism was going to scale towards in favor of the United States and countries like India would not be able to benefit that their populations wouldn't benefit in the end of the end of the day. So I just want to know, like, what would your course of action be to change it to make it a little better for them? Like, what would you do? Yeah, for sure. So there's there's two 
bits of that point. There's one bit of like, well, of course, like America isn't going to send all their vaccines. Um, so what are they going to do? Like, and what they did was they sent um, 60 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine to India um, that they weren't going to use in the United States because for whatever reason, they didn't authorize the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. But other countries have and they use it and it's totally fine. So um, that like that's a good move. Um, in the beginning with this vaccine production, uh, companies in America realized that they could do some of these things, but they couldn't do all of it. That's why the Pfizer uh, vaccine is also a BioNTech, a German company, their vaccine, because they work together in the production of it. So like at, at very early on, on the top level, what we think of as these like scientific medical decisions are also like capitalist um, not even capitalist, let me go into like a deeper level for all the destiny heads out there. And this is an allocation of resources conversation and how like resources are being allocated and controlled. And the sad thing is like during a pandemic emergency response, I think the government, I know the government was involved in a lot of allocation thinking and like thinking, okay, we're going to make sure that we use different war powers resolutions to make sure that, or like, um, war manufacturing resolutions to make sure that in emergency situations we can spin up these factories for ventilators and these factories for vaccine distribution and these like areas for addressing that. So A, a let's A let's establish that you um, the country can do the things they can pull the levers that are necessary. They can control the resources that are there. Um and of course the resources are scarce. They can't just like come up with seven billion vaccines. Um and I'm not saying like, oh well we should like have them all sent to India. But I'm saying that like it's not fully a supply issue. It's also an intellectual property issue. Like there's if we really cared about dealing without this vaccine, our doctors would be on Zoom calls like this with Indian doctors, with doctors on all remote parts of the world. So they could know how to better treat and create this vaccine and deal with it for people so that it wouldn't be as big of an issue um for folks going out there, because when you have a pandemic, a virus that's affecting people, it, it doesn't just stop at borders. You want to prevent its spread across the world so the virus can't mutate like it is in India, like it's killing all these people and it's becoming more um, resistant to vaccines. So it's really a race against time. So like to answer the question, it's um, not just in the raw of resources, it's the fact that they view sharing the way they made this vaccine as something that they shouldn't do or something that they should charge the Indian government like billions of dollars for before they do it. And like, yeah, sure, God bless, like get your check, but I think there's also a um, consideration for human life to be made. And of course there's also- uh, For sure. Things that, there's also things that the um, leader of India, Nahindra Modi, uh, is definitely like dropping the ball on. Like he's like full on Trump Bolsonaro status level of um, messing up COVID and not really taking it seriously. So that's another major factor as well. It's just like a perfect storm for a lot of unnecessary loss of life. Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, India is creating their own vaccines too. And I think what what's happened somewhat recently is like they're having big festivals and people are being out all on top of each other. And yeah, COVID's gonna spread. But they, India's, India. If I'm not mistaken, India is also shipping vaccines to other countries. But they're for sure one of the, like India is one of the places that vaccines are made. So and then they have like the technology, whatever, to make this COVID vaccine, and they're making it there, and they're giving it to their population as well. 
I don't necessarily think like it's uh, I mean, this might be the only time I'm ever saying something like this, but I don't necessarily think there's any responsibility on the United States of America in regards to like India handling COVID because they might be better equipped to handle COVID than we are in some respects. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know, like, you know, obviously India is a huge country. There's so many states, like, it's hard to know, like, what's happening in these different municipalities in regards to taking COVID serious. But I think that they are able to handle COVID just as good as any place. But I know for sure they were having, like, religious festivals and different things where there was a lot of people out. And that's that's how you that's how you drop the ball on COVID, you know, like it's getting to that point where it's like you can't be doing that unless people are vaccinated or. But, you know, if you're taking those risks, like that's how it's going to go down. It's like so. Yeah, of course, it's like regular people's decisions that are happening. And like there was decisions like that happening in America with people deciding to do their like rallies like maskless and whatever and like that just happened too but um this isn't to say the american government per se is responsible for these things like the american government should be doing like what it can for an ally here but again this is like one of those things where we have to think about systems and the way they connect like the american government has allowed bill gates to gallivant around the world for the past 25 years just because like for no other reason other than he was the ceo of microsoft for a minute and said i'm just gonna solve world poverty me one of the richest people on earth i'm gonna solve world poverty not by allowing my money to be taxed so um people can actually have this money heavens no but by giving meaningless awards for cheap toilets and thinking about electricity and theory but not really applying these things in practice and um doing these thought leadership conferences where i talk to bloomberg magazine and forbes and other rich people about rich people things like bill gates Gates gets to, because of the American system, because of like a broader capitalist system um, that is enabled by America, but also like a lot of other governments, has created this class of development billionaires like Bill Gates, like a number of others, who are given this like basic above government license, above like NGO license, to go into other countries and do these test runs of innovation um, charity as tax write-offs to say that they are doing better and they're making improvements for these countries. So then these people come in because like, okay, of course Bill Gates is going to devote his money and his research to the vaccine because he's a smart guy. He ran Microsoft. He has a lot of money. He does all these development stuff across the world. Of course he's going to be the guy to do it. So he has this sort of trust because we've given it to him as a society by not taxing the shit out of him. And now as a result, his like hesitancy, like I've mentioned, like he's done interviews very recently and saying that, oh no, we, we shouldn't open up these patents for these vaccines. We should allow these uh, companies to be able to make massive profits off these vaccines. Like, yeah, Indian, India can make some vaccines, but the efficacy of them, like not all vaccines are created equal, right? So uh, I think it's economically more efficient to get rid of this virus so we can have like concerts and like travel and all these other things again, as opposed to concentrating wealth for fewer and fewer people while we let um, a, a, just a bunch of people die unnecessarily. But uh, 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 there are a lot of other governments that seem to think otherwise. So there's, that's well, just the world. I mean. I mean, India is a capitalist country, too. And I feel like there's probably the same issues there. 
Yeah, but like, <laughs> again, but like, the, the, the reason this is a systemic point is I'm not saying it's like India versus the United States. This is a capitalist system and the way it exists and all of its tendrils versus the um, journalists in India that are being silenced by Twitter and the Indian government for even speaking out about these things. It's, a, it's like this entire system that's interwoven with capitalists and governments that are working against regular people who live within the system and don't really have an effort against it, who are just kind of left to die in mass graves in different parts of India because they're not handling this seriously. It's not like the, the blame here is like purely on the United States or like purely on India. And I think it's a good thing to illustrate because a lot of these world things are complicated and it's not like purely America's fault all the time. Um, but it is to say that these are like larger systems at play that uh, have really dire consequences. And like these are some of them right here that we can kind of see uh, illustrated out in a kind of dark kind of way. Yeah, I mean, I look at India, it's a, it's a large, wealthy nation. Like, obviously, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of poor people, but it's not like some poor nation somewhere. I feel like their own governments in that country are letting them down when you see those numbers and, you know, not able to have uh, ventilators and oxygen and stuff like that. There's no excuse other than, like, government corruption and things like that. I, I, I hope they're able to, you know, ramp up their vaccine production. Um, they have, they absolutely have the capability for that. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate what we've seen recently, you know, and, and it could, it could be the result of, you know, people being out uh, amongst each other. It could be the result of that. And then we'll see like a decline. I hope that ends up being the case, but, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the patents for the for the vaccines and all these different ways that these companies are rapacious and evil, that really sucks. I, I you know, Dan Guillotine can handle all that. Shink. Snip, snip. Any other comments, thoughts? Um, is India canceled? Yes or no? Thoughts? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> we go from covering the farmer strike and protest to the canceling mm, India like in no time. PowerPoint take, takes no prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's safe on PowerPoint. <laughs> Muammar Gaddafi canceled. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. We 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 gotta do like a Power Report classics episode on like the, the life and death of Muammar Gaddafi. <laughs> Oh, I'm yeah, so down. Yo, I'm yeah, so down. down. Can we I'm do down. a power report on like some like some retro heavy hitters, some classics in history? <laughs> That'd be great. You know, he back. died. I'll I'll go back for Gaddafi. That's my guy. <laughs> Omar, I, I, I got a great idea for this. We'll have to talk about this later. That'll be a great tease um, for the viewers and fans to watch that um, for another episode. But we are now at the end of another wonderful power report here, and. Um, Let's do a reverse thing. Uh, bam. Bam. Where, where can people find you? What, what are you doing? What are you up to? Oh, um, just, you know, go to freediscussionsociety.com. But more important than me, what I really need y'all to do is go to twitch.tv slash we made it seize. And also go on Instagram and put in that search bar, we made it seize. We made a Caesar, uh, aka Caesar, right there, right there, the one that put us in um, Hunger Games earlier. Uh, <laughs> he's got a new series coming out called Vita. 
Um, he's he's on Twitch. He's streaming. He's going hard, reviewing videos, playing games, and he's got a new series dropping, and it's going to be fire, of course, because that's my dog. So forget about me. I'm not important. Go to twitch.tv slash we made it seas. And also on Instagram, we made it seas. You dig? That's right. That is your boy he's talking about. I do have a new series on YouTube called Vida Out. Um, I just uh, said that. I just said that. Why, why you got to? I just did the whole thing. I know. Um, and then also make sure you go to twitch.tv. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> also, um, I don't know if it's, it's been. I'm, I'm, I'm not capping when I say this. You know, Dan has been doing some great stuff over on Source Stream. I've watched those Friday. Thank God it's Friday, or thank God it's Dan on this Friday. I, I don't. I'm, I wasn't born in this country. Don't uh, don't judge me, okay? No, no, Caesar's Fridays, right. I am God. Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> thank, thank the thank the Lord for Dan. Um, uh, no, but yeah, please go check those out. I think uh, that that. Those numbers be hitting, Dan. I mean, they do. Okay. It'll be 500, 800 in there. Whoa. Okay. Hating. <laughs> what are I going to put here on? No, oh, hey, no, Dan be getting it on there. Go ahead, Dan. Show them what's good, man. Um, Yeah, I did not know how to segue from that one. But um, thank you. Definitely check out all the stuff we're doing. Sean and I are doing Audio Face. We're doing way too much Audio Face at this point, actually. We've got really exciting episodes coming up for you. Um, in the very near future, um, in addition to the trouble that we've been getting ourselves in very recently. <laughs> so um, definitely check out audioface.show for all of those <laughs> links or um, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at audiofacepod for those things. And yeah. this show, Power Report, can be found, um, all the links for all the subscription or places you can subscribe to the show can be found at powerreport.world, like .com.world is a thing that I spend money on every single year to possess. Um, and then you can go follow us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Dan from the internet. All the clips for Power Report will be on that channel. Um, thank you very much. Excited for some upcoming interviews and apparently a Muammar Gaddafi special that I've accidentally planned. But um, <laughs> make sure you are subscribed and tuned in so you don't miss any of that. Take care. Peace. Yep.